Good morning and welcome to the Preventing Grace podcast. It is March 27th and it is almost Holy Week. So I'm going to go ahead and admit that I'm already panicking. And that's partly because uh, a couple of days after Easter, we're going to go to GAFCON. Yeah. In Africa. Follow me for more Anglican takes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be in Rwanda for most of the time, but then we're also going to go to Kenya for a little bit to see uh, our, our little, uh, our little school, school that we support as a church. Um, it's a Anglican school for little, it's a preschool, right? So, yeah, it's our, well, it was uh, associated with the Church of Kenya, but the Church of Kenya didn't, I'm not really sure what, what happened. happened. It didn't. Yeah. One and so now it's, um, it's it's in a tiny one mile square slum, and it has it goes between twenty and thirty kids, and we've I didn't I didn't know the like need for years. preschool, but you know, that was interesting. I thought uh, why 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 do we have to have a preschool in Kenya? But you you have everyone has to go to preschool, right? Because you have to do an entrance exam to get into kindergarten, right? Which means you already have to basically read and um so you you go from age two to age five to preschool and you have to meet benchmarks every year in order to get into kindergarten and then pass the exam and this slum is surrounded by mansions so most of the people living in the slum are sort of the people who work in the mansions and the school, they can drop their little babies off and are, we've managed to feed them and provide, um, you know, teaching, but they, the cooks come very early in the morning so that people can drop off their little babies before class starts. So we're, you're going to finally get to see it. And, um, so I'm really excited about that. I've I mean, been twice. You've been twice, right? And I I grew I've up. I've never been to Eastern Africa. I've been to Western Africa. Been been yeah. I I've, I grew up in what people would call a poor, you know, situation. Like, I mean, a, a very um, small village with no electricity or running water. So if you were sort of doing calculations statistical calculations of wealth and so on you grew up impoverished the place where i lived was very low on the list of countries but i'm it's all, not squalid though i mean no, I, no. Yeah, yeah, I went there it's beautiful it's nice it's a nice place it's it's yeah it's, it, it's not so i was so shocked to go to this slum and then <clears> other people from my village who've gone to visit my parents and who've gone to see the quinda slum um, are really shocked. Like if right. you go from the poorest nation in the world, Mali, to one that is sort of more, Advanced. it's not as poor theoretically. It is so shocking to yeah. go to the slum. So anyway, the kids are um, adorable, of course, and we have a really good teacher and um, we have two cooks and so we've been struggling long to support them financially. And I really hope that 
we have a good um, it'll be good right. they won't be in class they're on their vacation when we are there so we're gonna have to go and visit students in their homes in the slum if we can um while we're there so but then gafcon i mean that's that's what that's really the only reason i wanted to go to gafcon is so that we can go see our school <laughs> i wanted to go i mean this is the big this is going to be a big gafcon meeting this is the one that maybe we're going to may, might be the seed of a new communion i mean we haven't there gafcon has not been its own communion before it's just been made up of orthodox provinces anglican provinces that are opposed to the progressive push for same-sex blessings and ordination of people who are um, unrepentantly and non-celibately um, living in a gay way. Um, and but, but with England, the Church of England doing what it did this last, um, this last few months, deciding to bless same-sex unions or at least provide prayers for that and um, well, they've, they've become apostate. We've talked about this before. So I mean, this there, is going to be a lot of people from England there, right? Yeah. Maybe well, more people than had planned probably. to go because, you know, England, if you don't know about the Anglican communion, England is the, the hub. It's the, it's the, it's the, if, if the, if the Anglican communion is a wagon wheel, the church of England is the, is a center and all the other provinces came from it and they are connected to it. Now we're not, we're the ACNA, we're the Anglican Church of North America. We're not connected to the, to the wheel, thank goodness. But a lot of the Orthodox provinces, almost all the other provinces in GAFCON are. Um, and so when, when the hub is rotted out, the wheel can't really hold together. And so hopefully we'll start, we'll, we'll make a new one. That's what my hope is for the GAFCON meeting is that we'll, we'll, we'll form a new communion centered, not in Canterbury, but centered um, somewhere in the global South, probably. And maybe, maybe, maybe the air, maybe the new archbishop of the whole communion will be elected from now on. I don't know, but it, until they would take turns. Yeah. Yeah. Now it probably won't be as dramatic as that. I mean, Anglicans are notoriously slow and plotting about doing anything, not, not plotting like with a T, but plotting with a D about doing anything dramatic. I mean, you just, maybe our children's children will see something, <laughs> but, but so, but I hope, I have hope that maybe there'll be some kind of dramatic moment of establishing a new communion while we're there. So probably I'm not. really shocked that you even think that actually. I'm like, I didn't know that you thought that, that was, well, well, I just thought that no that's... one, okay, but I, I wouldn't normally have thought that except for England, die, England becoming apostate. You can't, she can't be the, center of the hub anymore so you've got to have a new you've got to the institution is is un, irreparably broken so you've got to do something to bring it back you know? i just thought that um well i when the, the archbishop of canterbury said that he was gonna give over being the convener of the communion but then the office tried to walk it back yeah. and say that he didn't really mean he what he said he quite i figured that then we were right where we expected to be but i mean he did say it so maybe somebody will believe him and say okay we're going to take you at your word and we're going to find somebody else i just don't think that's gonna i mean i don't think i i mean i think with england in 
England would have to agree to step back. And I, I, start, I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening. And so, um, and even if it did, I mean, what would happen? So let's say, let's say England stepped back and the majority of the province, provinces vote for, I don't know, the Archbishop of Nigeria to be the new uh, first among equals. Um, I mean, the, you could begin to possibly, depending on how the communion would be reorganized in this kind of dreamscape that we're thinking about. Um, <laughs> this is like a... Hoch- this is like, it's not going to... No, 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 nothing of what we're saying is going to happen. So this just, is you like know, a right? utopian <laughs> novel. So right. write it, write it up. It's, right. Well, then the possibility would be there for England to be disciplined by the rest of the church and for the Episcopal Church to be disciplined and for the Scottish and the Canadian Church to be, to be disciplined. So I just don't think that's going to happen because of that. I mean, you're, they're, they're handing the keys to the car to the wrong people. Um, so there's no way after hundreds of years of colonial management that the English, English will do that. They're too, yeah. they're too slippery. They've, they've learned how to handle the colonials and they're, and they're not going to let the colonies. Well, yeah. The colonial the colonists said, so I'm sure that's the, they've learned over, they have institutional knowledge of how to manipulate and, and seem to placate, but only to take back what they've placated in the next minute. So I just, I don't know, but we're probably now way, we're wonk, Anglican wonkish for our, <laughs> for our listener. Well, but so. so, but the point of bringing it up is that, okay, a couple of days after Easter, um, we are going to go and I'm going to be blogging. Um, I hope for myself on my Substack. And so if you want to follow what's happening, you can find me on Substack. I don't know. It will be a different time, like, um, because of the time, time difference. And I have no idea how busy it's going to be. So I'm, you can't trust that I'll wake up in the morning and like produce my daily blog, but I am going to not take that as a blogging break is what I'm saying. I'm planning to um, work through. And if we can, we'll do a podcast from there. So yeah. demotivations. we're going to try to figure out the technology of that before we leave. Right. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. We'll see. Because we are heading rapidly towards Easter. So we're not sure if we'll be able to pull it together, but um, yeah. So what I'm saying is um, follow me on Substack because some of that will probably be free, but I'm definitely going to pay well some of it for you. Anglicans who want the news and who have already supported my work, I'm going to be there for you. And, um, oh gosh, what was the other thing that I was going to say? Um, oh, I'm going to also at the same time be trying to write because it's going to be due basically the day we come back. Um, CBMW sent me a copy of this book. Oh gosh. Which is apparently a famous book. Of course I never was deeply interested enough to try to read it, but it's um, on biblical equality. Um, Discovering biblical equality. So just one of the chapters, maybe the one by Mimi Haydad um, on the history of evangelicalism or w- women or something. Um, I'm, I'm 
you're going to write uh, right. an interview do a on short, that. Yeah. A short thing on that while we're traveling. So that should be super fun. And I listened to it really quickly and it was like a, a shorter version of Beth Allison Barr. And I was, I'm trying to like, keep trying to put my, huh? ding. ding, ding, ding. I was trying to put my finger on what it is. Like, cause you keep coming up with these sort of explanations of history of evangelicalism or women in the church. And I'm not sure, but the, the assembling of facts about women doing stuff mm-hmm. Like and the list, it's like a listicle of women who did stuff. In oh, and the, oh, is that is that the? Uh, well, I gotta listen to it again. It was really fast, but um, like yeah, I I just want to be like yeah, I see that all those women did that stuff, and some of that was, I'm sure, great. Like I don't really quibble with Lottie Moon at all. Of course, she went. She was amazing. She went to China as a missionary. Yeah. And exactly. she's responsible for so many people becoming Christians. Yep. So, uh, hey, though, I wonder, it, as I was saying to you, is there anything that happened between like 1790 and 1970? I can't, is there anything that like really shifted oh, things mean, like, for the human, Enlightenment and the Industrial Revolution? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the sexual revolution. Right. Gosh, I wonder if anything happened. To really rock all our worlds. And to completely transform the lens with which you look at the past so that so that modern day feminists looking back and seeing women doing things in the Middle Ages, they're not they're not really understanding what those women were doing. I or, know. Or, it's <laughs> like I'm sorry, but probably not even Lottie Moon agrees with Beth Allison. Would have agreed with <laughs> Beth Allison Barr. Right, like, right, right. I and certainly Amy Carmichael. Yeah. Yeah amazing missionary woman would not have and also like i think that people who would not call themselves egalitarian don't think that women can't do stuff but that's the yeah like they don't actually think that baby has to sit in a corner all the time (laughs) they do they well that's the charge yeah you just okay so i feel like you should definitely talk about the almore thing but like well, if you don't let women do whatever they want, you're denying them their personhood. Like right. you're just saying they're not even human. It is like the the um, Hans Fien, the, um Did you know that <laughs> that the average um, Christian the average kills Christian. <laughs> seventeen gay people each year? each year? That's not true. It is it's true. true. <laughs> Shut up, Trevor. Like you should link that in there. Did you the, know? <laughs> hey, did you know that women in the past used to do stuff? And that to, and and it and that if you don't let them do stuff today, they're not even human. <laughs> that's not true. It is, it is true. true. <laughs> that's what it is. Like that's that seems to be. It. I keep waiting for it to go deeper than that. Nope. I'm waiting for it. Well, to that, it's the, it's the, it's, it's a strange thing. So first, the first move is, like, oh, let's see what people did, women did in the past. And if it has any kind of relationship to what pastors do today, then uh, ergo, 
women must be pastors. Like if, if you can do a thing, you must be able to do a thing. You must be, if you can do some of the, the practical aspects of a, of a task, that means God is necessarily calling you to do that particular task in the official office. That's kind of a, a leap of logic there. So, you know, I can. Well, but the reason that people think that, the reason that people think that if, if you have the physical capability of doing something, you should be allowed to do it or you should do it is because of how we've totally adjusted our worlds through technology like the pill. Like we have fundamentally altered the question of what we think it means to be human. And so and by we, I mean or other people. Yeah, male and female. other people have done this. Mm-hmm. And so, but it's not so altered that like some people can't look in the past and be like, hey, that's not the same as what we're doing now. <laughs> Those two things aren't the same. It's not like everyone is unable to read the past. Just a few people, right. actually. Like, I think a lot of human men and women don't want to live as if everyone's the same. Mm. They don't want that. They don't want to go to church where that's the case, where everyone is the same. They don't want to live like that in their homes. What do you mean everyone's the same? Like everyone can do every job because everyone has a physical capability. We know know that doesn't actually work ever in any kind of human society. Even though it ha- has seemed to be working right now. It's actually not working though, because now. Well, we're not, no one's doing that. Who's doing that? Uh, Who's actually doing that? Who, I mean, people say they're doing that. What is, what is that? Who actually does that? Yeah. I mean, in the Episcopal church, was yeah, it like yeah. that? No. <laughs> we were in the Episcopal church for our lives and that at no time was the egalitarian progressive Episcopal church, anything remotely like that. Yeah. I mean, they said stuff about equality and, but no, yeah. it wasn't like that. No, no, there's there's really no such thing. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say all that. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's it's, it's very but it's a very American way of looking at something. Like, oh, if just, if a person has the the skill to do something, that necessarily means that person should be in that office. Um, that's a it's a very pragmatic kind of practical whatever works approach to church. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's it's interesting because God has never been a whatever works type of God. He's, he's he's very impractical. He doesn't um, he doesn't always say. Now let's see who has the best speaking voice. Yeah, who's who's the best rhetorician? I'm going to put that person and make that person an apostle. Um, no, he picks Paul. Who does? Who's like? And and you know what? I think who would be best to go to the Gentiles? Let's 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 pick someone who's like a Gentile. You know, like has Gentile. Gentile characteristics and maybe grow and maybe has a Gentile, maybe a Gentile himself, right? Let's let's get a Gentile and then send the Gentile to be the part of the apostle of the Gentiles. Nope. God chooses a, a strict Pharisee who hates the Gentiles and makes him his apostle to the Gentiles. So Which God just mean- doesn't so 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 saying a woman might be able to preach better than a man or have has a better have better rhetorical skills, and I'm sure there are lots of women who have better rhetorical skills than lots of men. Um but that's not the question that God's dealing with. I mean, there with. are a lot of men in congregations who have better rhetorical skills than the person who's standing up preaching the sermon. Absolutely. Like there's, if you're in an average congregation, the person who's standing in the pulpit may not be pragmatically the best person to stand there. Right. But like, 
it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter because God's not. He the, the whole point of of picking say Paul was to show his glory and his grace and his power to work through a, a person who was both wicked before and who also didn't have you know didn't in, in himself have the the ability to love Gentiles or, or, or really to preach well. He says he's, a, I mean, he's, he's apparently not a good, wasn't a good, uh, wasn't a good preacher. So, uh, so when God says, when we think he, if God says that, if God says only men can be fulfill this particular office, he's not saying that because men have some uber, like excellence, a higher level, higher grade level of imago dei than, than women Because, have. I mean, right. for example, if you're reading through Genesis and you get to the part where God, um, Hagar runs away, right? Because Sarah's being mean to her. Right. At no point in the text do you get the sense that Sarah's imago dei is more precious than Hagar's imago dei. <laughs> That's not the point. Like, right. But one is going to have the son of the promise and the other one is running right. away. So there is like a, <clears throat> there's a problem there. There's a prerogative of God that has to choose. God picks one of those people to have the promise. But at no point in the text are you meant to think, yeah, you know what? Um, Hagar's, we, God's not respecting Hagar's personhood. Yeah, <laughs> but really that's what... If God at ever at any point ever tells you no about anything, he must not be respecting your personhood. He must be like he's he's violating your he's imago vi- day. He's violating your imago day if he's like, no, you can't have that or do that or be that thing or anything. Yeah. That's absurd. Not like anyway. How do you even draw breath and live and and, and with that kind of thought? Because you're just you're constantly going to be aggrieved when you don't get what you think is your due you're, you're mm-hmm. constantly looking for what your due is and whether or not people are giving it to you and whether god's giving it to you i guess i mean yeah i don't i don't think that that's a good way that's to to live your life and that's the way that you're going to end up being so angry with god that eventually you're going to go away because just practically god isn't going to say yes to you eventually you're going to die yeah yeah that's like god's big no right <laughs> This does kind of lead into the Al Mohler thing because uh, we we have several things to talk about today, and it's already twenty minutes past the time we started. And we can't, and we kind of yeah, we can't a bit. talk about everything we have. We to can't talk about everything, but, we, but I did want to mention it's. It, I think yesterday or the day before was the anniversary of Al Mohler's being elected by the board to be the uh, president of uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, which is in Kentucky, and. Uh, that was a huge change. I didn't. I did not know. Someone sent me a video of his Q and A with the student body at that seminary, and this was around the time of the. No, actually, it wasn't. This the, the conservative resurgence happened like five or six years before that, I think. Um, but I had no idea how liberal, how pro, quote unquote progressive, that seminary was before he got there. It, it, the, the the student body the. the he was a, he was fielding questions. There was a lot of controversy on campus because he's known to be a conservative. Even then, he was a young man, a younger man, and this thirty years ago, and he um, he was known to be a complementarian, right? So that was that was the 
the real pressing issue because there were a lot of women in, in Southern Baptist Theological Seminary who were working on their MDivs and planned to go out and be pastors. And I don't, I don't, I, I got, I'm, I'm, I wish maybe a Southern Baptist, one of our, our a, Southern Baptist a, listener can correct my timeline, but I, I, I thought that the SBC had already made its comeback as far as a conservative institution, but maybe that was happening concurrently with this. But anyway, there are women there working on their MDivs. And so here comes this guy who doesn't agree with women's ordination. So everyone's mad. Everyone, every, the the Q and A the, the 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 introduction to the student body and the Q and A at 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 the there's a video of it you can watch it it's it's great. Um, people are just rude for one. Some of them are polite, but some of them are just rude. Um, and the student body is against Al Mohler. Like every time someone says something you know prophetic or courageous, quote unquote, the the crowd erupts in applause and. And so he's he's standing up there, very much alone. How did he get elected? That's so. The board, amazing. the board decided. The board decided. They, they we decided. We decided. <laughs> right, right. Um, which is which is really gutsy on the part of the board. I mean that that's huge. Um, they did what a vestry should be doing, like just saying, okay, well, the people might want this, but this is what God wants, so we're going to do this. Um, so the. One woman, I mean, the reason, the reason I'm, what we were talking about brought this up is because one woman toward the end stood up and said, you, how can you say that you um, uh, respect women and that you are, uh, that you value our humanity when you also won't let, don't think we should be ordained? And she said, you're not. You, you, those two things don't go together. You're, like my, per- you're denying me my personhood. She said that literally. You're denying my personhood, and and how more said not that? I'm I'm not. No, I, I'm not denying your personhood. I just don't think the Bible believe, says that women can be in a pastorate. But I I I. I think you're a person. I think you're a person. <laughs> and it was such a weird clash of of categories. Categories, right? So how how do you come to the place where you think that? If you can't do a certain thing, you're not a person. I, I, I just don't understand. I mean, I can't give birth, but I think I'm still a person. I can't. There are things I just now I can't do as a man, and I don't want to do. But I, if I it would say like, um, well, okay, so I, I think, can't be oh, a Girl oh, Scout leader. Overlaid but, against that, though. <laughs> I don't want to be a Girl Scout leader. If I did, overlaid I against. Right. Overlaid against that, though, is at the same time. Um. A woman being able to give birth is be, become effectively meaningless. Oh, right. Like a woman being able to give birth is spiritually, culturally, socially, and practically of no importance whatsoever. Right. So if you want to be a person, you have to go to seminary and become a pastor. Like you can't be a person if you're a mother. That's that's vile. Like, and you know what? You should stop being a woman. You should take hormone blockers and become a man or something and and vice versa. Right. Like what makes somebody who they are has been utterly um, There's no destroyed. Worth. There's no worth. So a woman who The same worked, people who are saying this that you know unless I'm a pastor I'm not a person are the ones who are destroying the personhood of 
of women in their natural state, right? Right. Like if you if you if being a woman who has a baby has babies and stays at home and and we're in well or i mean so take the home question out of it just like just yeah if you have well everybody's quick to say that of course mother motherhood is so valuable and so important and you know such a blessed such a blessing but if you look at the behavior of actual people you can see that motherhood is not to be uh upheld or it's not interesting and um it's just, um, you just don't like, you can say things with your mouth, but look at the way people behave. And so you can see that being a mother is not a um, thing. Yeah. Not an that's less, thing. But what I'm saying is it's, it's gone full circle. So now that's, that's depersonalized. Just being a mother, that's not fully human. You're not fully human unless you can be a pastor, right? Right. right. So, right. so they've they've actually reversed the. So I do think, like, I don't, I don't. Again, I don't think anybody's trying to be bad, but the reason that a woman would say, "If you don't let me do that thing, you don't think I'm a person," is because what made women essentially people um, is awful and so rejected the culture has rejected that thing so then when the church comes in and says no we think being a mother is so great it's to be honored you should be a mother you this is wonderful if you'd like to be a mother you should be a mother then the people who are like well if you you don't think i'm a person how they say how dare you tell me to be a mother um, single people are people too, and you have a cult of the family. And um, <laughs> that's my favorite. So, but it's just like spin. It's the idolatry a, of the family. The idolatry of the family. <laughs> it's a spin cycle of crazy because at the core of personhood has been culturally um, eaten away. Right. And so, on, overlay that against the fact that people can't read the Bible don't trust the Bible, don't think it has anything for them. It cannot form an idea of what a person is for them. Um, so I don't like, so, and, and then, and there's now no good way out is what I'm saying. I think we should totally despair right now. <laughs> well, the, the aggrievedness was interesting in the, I mean, the, the, just the, the level of indignant, righteous indignation uh, that anyone would, would, believe that a, a per, uh, that a certain person should not have a certain office because of the person's sex. Was... But again, if you, if you think that your humanity is under question of you're going to express grief right. and outrage. Right. I mean, you can see it in personal relationships where in a, in a marriage, if one person feels like their personhood, their humanity, their, the, who they are is constantly under attack by the other person, then they're always angry and they're, it's, it's a war. It's an all that war. Um, yeah. And I, um, I got to the place. So last week we talked about how, this is kind of funny. We talked about how women should express respect for their husbands because otherwise they are denying them existential awkward oxygen and they can't they can't breathe then i after we talked blithely about that got to the part in 
She Deserves Better by Sheila Gregoire about how if you tell a woman that she needs to express respect for her husband, well, you're setting her up for abuse. Respect is earned, not... That's the you know. most hellish thing. So I'm sorry. Right, but but what? Uh, again, you can say two things at the who, same time. Who are, you, are you God? Are you, you sit around and wait for someone to earn your respect? Okay. What? Well, can I finish my? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Sorry. What's about the Imago Day? Aren't you aware? <laughs> yeah. No. Well, does the man the Imago, Imago Day? Day only goes one direction? Oh, I, I see. Think. Okay. But okay. Um, if you there, are two things can be true at the same time, right? A man can be a horrible, worthless, awful person um, to whom no amount of respect would ever make his soul satisfied. You could be obsequious and submissive and the guy would still be wicked. You could tell him all day long that he's made in God image, God's image and you love his Imago Day so much <laughs> and he would never be satisfied and he then he would beat you and like you should get out of there right that's one true thing men need to find their soul satisfaction in jesus of course mm -hmm. at the same time you should be allowed to say that um women talking disrespectfully to men uh is a certain kind of thing that I mean, okay, I hate being talked to disrespectfully. I've been talked to disrespectfully by both men and women in my life. And I will I will say I hate it. Like if I feel disrespected, I hate it. But I'm able to deal, like as a woman, speaking as a woman, <laughs> I'm basically able to talk myself off the ledge. I think for young men, men feel the question of disrespect in a in a an essential core way that is not quite the same for women. That's, in a, that's, a, that, that's how men go to war and kill each other. Yeah, that's so yeah. women don't know this about men. They 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 say they just blithely waltz in and talk to men in a way that questions the man's existential humanity, and then the man is angry, and then they don't know what happened. Most men actually don't get angry public like they withdraw because yeah. they don't want to go to war they so can. they just so, go yeah, yeah they just withdraw but at the core of that withdrawal is anger well those and two things are it's possible and humiliation right. you're humiliating somebody i would say to most women do you enjoy being humiliated you should not humiliate people men if you don't enjoy being humiliated yourself. Right. And believe me, there's lots of ways that women can be humiliated today. I mean, the, the woman who asked Al Mohler her question, are you denying me my personhood? It, her core, is experiencing a certain humiliation about what about her life and who she is. And she's getting, she's getting rid of that humiliation by going to seminary and getting an MDiv. She's... Yeah. And... It's because everybody around her has not actually said to her, the core of who you are is um, acceptable to us. They've said, no, it's not. You've got to have. You've got to have this other thing in order to be a person. So I'm just the way out of that isn't to say 
to young women, oh, well, don't you worry about disrespecting men because that grooms you for abuse if you worry about that. That's just absurd. No, that's not the way out. Like, it's possible to say two things at once. It's possible to say, hey, speak respectfully to people. Don't humiliate them. In your tone towards men, don't speak in a humiliating way all the time. I mean, how would you like Whoever Jesus to men say, are. I'll respect you when you earn my respect. <laughs> I'll, I'll love you when you earn my love. I'll, I'll, when you earn my atonement, I'll atone for your Well, the reason I bring that up is because that's, Jesus imputes to us a status we don't have. We don't, right. we do not have righteousness. He imputes that to us because we don't, we will never get it ourselves. Right. And that's exactly what Paul is saying for husbands and wives to do. He's saying to impute to your partner, your spouse, a, a status they may not perfectly fulfill. I, I will never be Jesus, but you're supposed to treat me as, as if I'm the Lord. And you will never be like the, like the, the ideal church in Revelation 21, but I'm supposed to honor you in that way. And, and love you in that way. And, and Which so, again, for both and to parties. to give you respect in that way, right? Right. For both parties, that undoes the core humiliation and shame at the core of the person. Over time, you actually begin to, to mitigate against the core shame of being human. Because you, the messages that you're giving to the other person are not humiliation and shame. They're not right. existential rejection. You're, you're offering somebody something that, sure, they don't deserve, but it allows them to breathe. It gives them, it's the grace of God. It's a, a good thing. Man, I didn't know that. She, she's actively telling women not to respect their husbands? Is that... Well, she's talking to young women before they're married. Mm -hmm. And she's right in saying you're not responsible for a young guy's overweening anger right like okay. if a man if a guy is really mad at you that's not really your fault well depending on what she's done right? well yeah i mean it's just really hazy like mm -hmm. if a young girl walks up to a young guy and speaks super disrespectfully and then the guy's like super angry it's her uh, fault <laughs> well he should master his anger of course and she shouldn't do that he shouldn't be shouldn't act out in anger of course not but being that, but the reason he's mad is because she disrespected him right probably <laughs> and if a man talked to him that way he would punch the man right right so right anyway it's such a mess they're trying she's trying to make something that is so essential about relationships between men and women in this easy formula it's not an easy formula i got the, i got this in the book again that she's like she's trying to make men into women yeah i think and, that's for sure true um, yeah but we weren't even going to talk about that. No, we, were we weren't. Sorry. We and were you know what? We needed we need to stop and go over to our our special. So we were going to talk about podcast. Andy Stanley and why he became a Christian. He did. He, he tells us why he he has an elevator talk that he gives to people uh, for the reasons for his faith, and um, and it's fair. It's it's what you would expect. Well, I think Stanley. we should save that. And then for there's our, also yeah, our, I know, I know, I know, oh, okay, I'm, you're. You're, and then there's also uh, Kevin M. Young, not Kevin DeYoung. Don't make that mistake because it would be a huge mistake. Kevin M. Young is not Kevin, Kevin DeYoung. Uh, Kevin M. Young is like from Central Casting for uh, Progressive Episcopalian. 
I want to go on record as saying I He's really, not Episcopalian, but, I really yeah. enjoy Kevin Kevin M Young's Twitter feed. Like it's like I enjoy it so much. It's such it's like a character. It's like so a cartoon figure walking to, out into yeah. the. Into the into but the, I also like that he seems so cheerful. Like right. he's he's just he's just enjoying, <laughs> and and he's saying really these true. things that are so bad, so illogical and reasonable, but just just typical down the line theological liberal stuff. So we'll we'll, we'll read one of his tweets, and then um, lastly, there's a uh, there's the the poll that came out. I'm sure I'm still can't figure out where this came from. I'm trying to figure out where you can't figure out where it came no, from. No, I couldn't. I mean, I was also busy and I couldn't uh, really Google a long time. Samuel Perry uh, posted it. Um, that shows that all generations in America, from the greatest generation on down to Gen Z, uh, of evangelicals. I mean, I, this is where this is where I don't. I want to know about the the poll um, or the, the, the. I want to get to the mechanics of this because are these real evangelicals? Are these people who claim to be evangelicals? Who are they? In any case, the. The line of the, the the number of those who disapproved of of gay marriage was in the eighties for all generations somewhere around there eighty percent eighty percentile somewhere around there and then now it's like it's it's dropped precipitously to where the majority of evangelicals apparently approve of gay marriage so we'll talk about that right so if you want to listen we're going to be doing the deep motivations behind the massively expensive $5 paywall paywall for for a month. So, So, uh, well, this is people who who have already subscribed mm -hmm. and so uh, for whom I'm so grateful. So, yes, uh, join us on the other side. But for those of you who can't afford it, I want you to notice we have spoken for 40 minutes, so we are not shortchanging you. You're getting it. Okay. Thank you so much for listening, and we will probably be back next week.